Welcome to Church Online. Wherever you are, it's good to have you join us. And if we don't know you, we'd love to connect with you. Please go to the website at kenmore.church and click on the next steps launcher there, the yellow circle with the white feet, and just select fill in the connect card and we'll get straight back to you. Let's have a look now at what's coming up at Kenmore Church. Our powerful formation courses are back after two disrupted years with a whole new vision for how you can take part. Starting with our brand new 7pm Sanctuary experience on Tuesday nights, you can then break out for your group time. We also will combine a shorter, cheaper and in-house weekend experience with a powerful Sunday evening service each quarter. For April, we are taking regos for two courses. Refresh is for those who want to go deeper in their engagement with the Holy Spirit and Reform is for those who know it's time to break through and grow in a particular area. Find out more at kenmore.church forward slash growth track or go to our events page. Alpha is preparing to run in April of this year. If you want to see others follow Jesus, contact Lani to join the Alpha team or be thinking about who you can invite. Following Easter, we have an exciting and impacting message series that gives you a great opportunity to invite people back to church. It's called Entheos, catalyzing people to re-engage the true God within. The last two years have knocked the breath out of many people's spiritual lives and routine. Some have lost spiritual rhythm, some are disillusioned or even deconstructed. We need to meet God as we never have before, the way they did when Jesus came on the scene. There will be Sunday messages, midweek devotions, small group discussions and even an offer to attend our weekend retreat. Check out the detail at n-theos.com.au and join us for a truly transformational journey. Easter at Kenmore Church is a great opportunity to invite your friends and family to hear the gospel message. Join us for Resurrection Sunday on the 17th at 9am. This special Sunday service is family oriented and will also include an Easter egg hunt for the kids. Can't wait to see you there. For more information about anything that's happening at Kenmore Church, visit our website at kenmore.church or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you enjoy the service. Welcome to Good Friday Online. Great to have you with us. And uh, as we begin this message, you may want to just quickly duck out or have someone with you duck out and grab some bread and some juice. We're going to take communion together towards the end of this message. Now, we saw last week, if you've been a part of uh, Kenmore Church or following along online, we saw that this uh, last week on Palm Sunday was the beginning of Passion Week. And we saw the uh, driving objectives and the source of passion of Jesus uh, and his desire to have humanity and God connect again. It, it gave him his greatest joy. It, it overflowed literally when people celebrated the, the proximity of God. It brought him sorrow when it was devalued and people would prefer to be distracted and turned away. And we also saw the anger of Jesus and how it erupted 
uh, when he went into the temple for the second time and they were still, uh, the money changers were still there and, and their corruption was there and that brought out the anger of God as he saw that there was blockages being set up systematically between people and God. And so his prayer of all prayers was that it would come to pass, this thing of connection with God, this, this very reason why he came. And we start to see through the trailing parts of all the Gospels, the heart of Jesus come out in this Passion Week as he really wanted to fulfill his mission in life to make a way for humanity to join with God. We're going to pick it up today in John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. And this is really the high priestly prayer or part of it, of Jesus. His prayer about the most important thing in life and death for him. The reason why he came and the reason why he had to lay up his life. And it was his whole idea of connection. He says in verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me. May they be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you've sent me and I have loved uh, them even as you have loved me. Just an incredible part of the heart of Jesus. I'm in you, God. You're in me. I want to be in them and them in you. This is unity. Uh, the Hebrew word for that unity was ihad, which meant composite unity, oneness that comes from many joining together. That was the heart of Jesus. And the human desire that you and I all have to connect deeply with other people and with God is actually a reflection of God's image. It's, it's woven into us to do this as well. And so Jesus' commitment uh, was to make it possible and total. And so why? What was, what was the problem? Why did he have to come and do this? What was the barrier between God and man? And we can often talk in such churchy language, we forget that people viewing today or those who've, who join us in churches don't understand all the complicated idea around sin and consequence and judgment, all those sorts of things. So let's, let's just play it out today. It's Good Friday. This is where it matters most. So how are we to think of this thing called sin, this Christian word that we use called sin, and the consequences that come from it? Well, Scripture paints a scene of paradise lost in its early chapters. It, it creates a picture where God dwelt in perfect union with humanity, the way it was meant to be. Uh, God dwelt with man. That's very much the definition of what is heaven, what is paradise, what is peace. The whole beginning and the end of Scripture is based around this whole idea of shalom. And shalom is defined as God dwelling with humanity, where that relationship is one. There's deep unity, and there's deep unity human to human, human to the planet, and so on. All things are as they should be. And so humanity was formed originally from the dust, like every other being. They were limited. They were just dust of the earth. Uh, but at some point, the breath of God's presence, that says in the Genesis narrative, filled their soul, filled their spirit, filled their inner person. And so dust and breath combined. The Hebrew word for, for the spirit is ruach, breath, literally breath. And so that wind of God joined with dust and something happened that equates uh, in the Christian worldview as life. Union with God, living from God. That's what it means to be alive. That's what it means to be truly human. And so for humans, Death, the idea of death that was introduced in the early chapters of Genesis, literally means to be separated to, from God, to be apart from Him. And so this union, that uh, it came with certain dynamics, this relationship with God. It depended on certain dynamics being in place. 
The first was that God is God. No one else was God. We weren't God. We were human. He was and remains God. And God means is literally preeminent. He is number one. There is no less than oneness to be found in God. It's impossible for him not to be God. So Jesus is Lord. Whether people treat him as Lord is their choice. But the reality is Jesus is Lord. God is one. And so he can't exist in any dynamic where he is not preeminent because that's literally who he is. And he can't not be who he is. So that was a dynamic with this relationship and this union. God alone could be judged. That's another one. He was the judge in this relationship. This dance between, uh, of intimacy with God and humanity relied on the fact that he was judged. We could not handle judgment. We weren't the ones to discern good and evil. Uh, one dynamic was that, that was uh, very present in Genesis, if you read the account, was that the source of your creation was the ongoing source of life. So if an animal came from the soil, it lived from the soil. If it came from the sea, it lived from the sea. And this is important for what we're talking about because humanity weren't just dust. We were dust and breath. And so the source of life was God. And so we were meant to live from God. And so if we become separate from God, then we cease to live as we were designed to be. Effectively, we're living in a state of, of death. At another point, later on in the story, humanity decided to live from self. And this is where it all went wrong. This was uh, original sin. This is where the whole thing we call the fall came to be. They chose to take on the role that was God's alone and they were to self-direct. They wanted to become the judge instead of God, to effectively live from themselves, live from dust, not from God. It was like a putting a palm up to God and saying, we're doing it our way. Just turn your back for a moment because we want to do your job for you. And this act uh, was what we now define as sin. It was a, a state of inadequacy. They were never able to do it. It wasn't their role to do. It was a, uh, an act of imperfection. And that's what sin literally means, to fall short of perfection. And so as we've seen, a perfect God can't be in union with imperfection. And the penalty for that imperfection, that sin, the scriptures say, is separation. So they were instantly separated. The penalty for sin is death separation from God. They didn't die physically for some time, quite some time in the Genesis account, but they were dead spiritually immediately. And so humanity from that point on became dust alone. So we needed an answer for that. What was the answer? How do we get humanity and God back together again? Well, obviously that price needed to be paid. It was a human problem, however. It was a human problem that needed a human solution and a human price paid. Let's picture it this way. Imagine a court scene where a person is on trial. He is the second son of a wealthy and loving father, benevolent father, who, and the son wanted for nothing, and yet the son decided and chose to stole and to slander his family, to slander people around him, to, to reject the family and even deny that relationship. He made war, he misused people, he lied and abused and squandered everything he had. Ultimately, the law caught up with this second son, and the law, as we know, the law can't be the law if it doesn't require justice, death, separation. But the father loved his son. But universal justice required the price to be paid. And so there we have the standoff where the loving father just wants the son to come back home. And the son even wants to come back home. But there's this price to be paid. And so what happens then is that in this story, the first son steps forward. The second son was a sinner, but the first son steps forward, sinless, 
loyal. This first son knew the love of the father. And he comes forward and says, it's a son's price to be paid. I will pay it for him so that he may live. That's the dynamic that's at play on Good Friday. Jesus, the, the first begotten son of God, comes and says, I'm going to pay a human price because the human price must be paid by someone who is human and yet perfect. That perfect price could never be paid by sinful man. So it had to be an element of godness in the DNA. So Jesus was perfect because God, Jesus um, didn't have the corrupted DNA of humanity. He was the son of, of man, the son of God at the same time. An incredible paradox, incredible mystery. But it's the only way that this separation and this penalty for sin could be paid. Perfection and yet human. Jesus the man who never sinned. See, our problem was a human problem. Only a human could pay for it and it had to be paid. It had to be paid by someone without sin. It says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so it was a human body that went to the cross and yet undefiled by sin, paying the price for sin. I once sat at a wedding reception, as, as I do. I, I often used to do uh, quite a number of weddings for young adults as they would develop through life. And uh, being the pastor, you're often sat at the aunties and uncles table or the table, of the awkward table, because they're not quite sure where to put you. And I was at this wedding at one time, and, and uh, it was a classic stitch-up. It was a setup, And they sat me next door to what turned out to become a radical teacher, uh, a Buddhist monk, for, uh, from a, a really uh, militant part of that religion. And they made a point of establishing very early on in the conversation, they were quite provocative, the fluidity of their sexual orientation. And so they were literally flouting in front of me, almost provoking me to react. Uh, they had completely different belief systems, sexuality, views on life, and the whole thing. And it was almost like they were picking a fight with me. Uh, and so I just calmly thought, well, there's nothing to lose here. Let, let's, uh, let's just engage. And so I asked this woman to explain her views on religion and God as simply as she could. Eternity, paradise, however they would define it. And I would explain mine and just see how we go. And so I let her go first. And after 15 minutes, she was stumbling and frustrated. And she's saying, it's just too complicated to explain quickly and easily. And I said, you know, Christianity is summed up in just using two words, do and done. You've just tried explaining all you have to do to, etern to earn what you define as eternal life and how you're going to spend it. But all with no guarantee. It really is uh, human-made logic and ideas. There is no tangible proof that this way you choose is the right. It's just human philosophy and so on. Uh, this God that you've invented, is, it seems to be something that's a man-made invention. And yet my gospel is that all has been done for us. See, humanity knows deep down that there is more to life than what we see. We normally gravitate to a, a sense of religion. And so we know there's eternity. We seem to know that there's a creator. And it itches at our soul. We see creation and we resonate in our soul about it. But the judging side of us that came in at that early fall is also aware that we are imperfect and these two won't go together. And so we choose two paths as myself and this Buddhist monk sat at the table there. We can either reject the idea of God altogether uh, that, and that he has a justice issue because it just seems to be unsolvable. Or we create a religion that requires us to do something to earn favour. You see, every religion but one requires us to do 
better, to do something. Every religion dangles eternity in front of you, if you can earn it. But Christianity is about what was done. It's been done for us. It's not about what you can do. You can't do enough. It will never be enough. It will never get you there because we are inherently imperfect. We are just dust. But Jesus has done what we could never have done for ourselves. It's done for us. The great verse, John 3.16, says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And you see, belief and faith is a return to the original design, leaning on God, dancing that very close dance with humanity and God. It's relying on God to provide, to save, to give life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you may have life, that you may live. Your role is to rely on what he has done. You live by relying on what he is giving. We start by faith and we go on by faith. And so I know the majority of those listening today would uh, have already accepted Jesus and what he's done for our life, but not everyone. But today, I want to invite you to join us in communion, to join us in this celebration that Jesus did on the day before he was crucified. It says in 1 Corinthians 11:24 that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this, the bread that hopefully you've got in front of you, I've got a little wafer thing here. It represents Jesus' human body offered in our place. The juice, which I have pre-prepared, represents his blood shed to redeem and usher in a new covenant or a new agreement between God and us, making union possible. So let's take a moment now to celebrate that with the bread and the juice. Father, I pray that as each one partakes in that, this supper, it, they do it in remembrance of what you've done, that they do it with a sense of faith, relying on what you did that following day by going to the cross and offering up freely your own body as paying that penalty for sin that we could never pay for ourselves. Lord, if there's anyone out there watching this today who has not yet placed their faith in Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, to give them the gift of faith that they could believe and rely and not rely on their own strength by living good enough, being good enough, being enough to earn the right to get to heaven because it cannot be done by frail humanity. Bless them with a revelation of the truth in Jesus' name. Well, bless you. It's been great having you join us on Good Friday. I hope this Easter is a true time of celebration and I hope that you can join us in person on Sunday. We're going to have a great celebration at Kenmore Church and uh, Easter egg hunts and all great stuff for the kids and join some great supper together as a community. So please join us then. And if you can't, God bless you. Hope to see you one day. Bye for now. Thank you.